Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hello everyone and welcome to Bouncing Back, the personal resilience science insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. Let's get started. Hi guys, and welcome back. I am your host, Tia Hama, and today I am joined by Benjamin Shields, an experienced clinical psychologist with over 15 years experience. In today's episode, we are talking about boundary management and how it affects our personal resilience. So let's get started. Hi, Ben, how are you? Very good, thank you. Nice to meet you. Yes, very nice. Thank you so much for being here. So let's talk about your career. You're a psychologist. You've been a psychologist for over 15 years, which is a really long time. Um, For those who don't know you, do you mind explaining a bit about who you are and what it is you do? Sure. Yeah. um, I've been a psychologist for for most of my career. Um, But I really love my work. Um, it's always, yeah, it's good. There's always, um, new things to kind of learn about it, new layers to it. A lot of new research that comes out about it. It's very stimulating. Um, I have my own practice in, in, um, in Melbourne, some great workmates as well. So we kind of have, have a really good, um, working relationships there. Oh, awesome. Okay, great. Now. Before we started the recording, you said you're from Sydney, but then you just said you have a practice in Melbourne. We need some clarification here because we are in Melbourne. Where are Look, you? I'm in Melbourne. Um, okay. I was born in Sydney and um, ah. moved to Melbourne and about six years ago. Oh, nice. Why the why the switch? I love Sydney. Why, why, why'd you come here? <laughs> I love Sydney as well. Um, but you know, when you kind of get to know every street and you know it, you know everything about the city, it's um there's something good about being in a place where you know you're looking around and still seeing new things and um, yeah, I wanted definitely. to change and it was kind of Melbourne is super charming and um mm. yeah, it certainly is. Oh, awesome. So how did you end up? like in your profession as a psychologist because i'm not gonna it's not niche (laughs) but it's also something that you have to have a passion for to do it so what made you go yep this is what i'm gonna do for literally my whole existence um i remember as a um as a child thinking about you know career as you do what you want to do um, maybe working with animals for a bit, but I thought that's probably going to be pretty sad on a lot of days. <laughs> yeah. um, oh, so you chose human psychology. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there is that, but, um, but the idea of being able to do something that's, um, very directly associated with people, you know, it's very, yeah. there's not too many layers away yeah. from the person or, or doing something kind of constructive or positive. So I like the directness about that. 
like when I conceptualize that as a, as a kid. Yeah. And um, it's turned out really to be that. So you have like really intimate relationships with um, your clients and, your, and um, yeah, it's um, you're able to, it, it, it is heavy content a lot of the time, like difficult, but, you know, being able to get in there and sort of help them to transform some often horrific experiences is, is a really, really good feeling. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And what would you say is your sort of favorite area or your, your area of expertise or specialization? Um, yeah, I guess those things sort of change over time. Like most psychologists, you have, um, uh, like you come out of uni and it's all really about sort of a, the model that you were taught with. So for me, it's like a clinical psychology, abnormal psychology sort of model, diagnostic model. Mm. And then you, um, then you realize that there's a whole lot of other stuff, a whole lot of other lenses to look, um, look through like other, other people and different ways to, to, um, to view things and, and your, yourself as well, um, through the same types of lenses. And, um, over time that I've, I've moved through a variety of different sort of focuses, but, um, but now I, I, I sort of have started to work, um, in a way, um, related to brain networks and how they are associated with um sense of self and how those yeah. um how they they can be disrupted in um due to different experiences so um trauma early trauma how our experiences shape how we see ourselves and how to deal with that from a bottom-up perspective by factoring in the nervous system and how the mind and brain interact that's kind of my my thing now yeah, cool. Oh, great. Well, thank you for answering those questions. So I'm going to pepper Ben with more questions now, but we're going to get to know him on a little bit more of a personal basis um, that isn't related to the topic. So let's talk about books. Are you a reader? That's the <laughs> that's the key question here. I mean, unfortunately, it's kind of about the same topic because it's all I read with psychology <laughs> books. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're doing a PhD as well, like there's so much reading required with um, yeah, and stuff like that. So, but I find it really interesting as well. So a lot of those things are sort of you know the key different concepts and stuff like that. But there was mm. a particular book when I was um much younger, which was when I got out of uni and a friend recommended, and it's called um, Character Styles by Stephen Johnson. And okay. um, in that book, uh, he he talks about how people have a different style in their in their character um and that was a sort of different a different sort of construct than the you know the the clinical psychology models my first introduction yeah. to a different um lens on people so um that yeah, was something wow. something i'd always remember yeah what does well what is character style what does that mean um or is that, is that a really difficult question for you to answer? I'll try to keep it um, keep the answer pretty tight. So, um, like for example, like people talk about um, narcissism, you know, and it's a lot in media and in um, the popular culture now, being a narcissist, um, organizations being narcissistic and so on. But the yep. idea of having um, a particular um, style that might be narcissistic—that's not, you know, that that doesn't make us a narcissist per se, but it's a narcissistic one or a dependent yeah. style, you know, in relationships. Okay. Um, yeah. Or a symbiotic sort of style where we're sort of the differentiation between us in relationships is is kind of um, 
more perforated. You know, so these sorts of concepts that allow people not to be in a particular category, mm. they allow us to sort of explore those concepts where they came from um, for people that isn't um, overly pathologizing, it's more respectful. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. All right. Let's talk about movies. Yeah. Are you a movie or TV person or both? Um, I mean, my partner always wants me to watch like things that are going to make me cry and, and I don't want to cry, <laughs> <laughs> cry on the week Fair meeting. Enough. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. um, no, now, I think I have a pretty specific sense of humor as well. So I, I tend to more like... Um, okay. Scary movies I like, you know, things that are un- Oh, no, very- you lost me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Really Interesting. Cheap, All right, what, would, what is a movie you would recommend? Uh, maybe I would recommend. It's hard when you kind of like scary movies because most of them are pretty, you know, six out of ten. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a couple of jump scares and then you forget the whole thing <laughs> because it follows a very similar format. Yeah. And you just keep doing it over and over again. So, um, yeah, there's not too many that I that I would recommend in that way. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. All right, let's talk about famous role models. Um, now, obviously, some people have them, some people don't. Some people have personal role models. Do you have a famous role model? Uh, not really. I mean, my, my role models have really been more... Um, related to my field yeah you know people who sort of done really interesting stuff that might have shifted how how we see things and that becomes embedded in um in my in our all of our work so yeah probably less fun and interesting but yeah okay yeah but you you can you can tell us some (laughs) um i mean they're different sort of um uh Ruth, um, Ruth Lanius is one. She does a lot of research on um, um, sense of self and trauma. Um, yeah, right. She's one of many, you know, but... Um, right, okay. They're really um, prolific in terms of research and diving yeah. into to a lot of detail about um, how things kind of work in the nervous system and, mm. and it's sort of informing like cool. a more of a biological sort of way of looking at, at things, which is good. Yeah, Oh, I love it. That's great. All right. And podcasts. First, do you actually listen to podcasts? I won't be insulted if you don't. Well, um, these podcasts that you're doing, this really being okay. the first podcast that I have watched, to be honest. Okay. Yeah. Wait, did you watch some of my podcasts? Yeah, I did. Oh, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> I oh, I just like podcast. I can't I can't watch or listen to myself like it's the bane of my existence is actually like oh, watching okay. and listening to my own self. It's a um, scenario. But, <laughs> but yeah, so you like more like science educational sort of based podcasts? I mean, the closest thing I get to podcasts is like listening to books in my car. So Right. So you're not yeah. exactly a podcast person. No. Nah. No, no, not really. Not really. But, um, <laughs> but I am now. Fair enough. Okay, great. Well, that's wonderful. Yeah, look, some people are, some people aren't. It's really, it's it's really, you know, up to the person. And there are a lot of different types of podcasts. Like I sort of like right. since 
becoming the host of this show, I do not um, listen to this type of show only because I am like hosting it. So I learn everything that I want to learn like on the spot, Um, which is awesome because if I didn't, then obviously I would go and I would listen to this podcast. Um, So when I am listening to podcasts, I listen to more like funny just like fun conversational, just sort of like feels Glad like I'm hanging out with friends. Uh-huh. Yeah, just like really relaxed sort of podcasts um, that usually are very not educational. That's probably you know, the idea though, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just sort of, you know, girls hanging around talking about stupid stuff and all that kind of, all those things, which I love. Sounds perfect. Um, yeah, exactly. All right. So let's talk about courses um, now that's a very broad word, so I'm giving you a lot to work with here. So I'm going to ask you sort of what is a course you have recently completed? Course I've recently completed. Well, I'm kind of a, uh, I'm, I'm probably half or two thirds way through my PhD, which is probably like the mother of all courses that I've been involved mm-hmm. in. Yeah. But I'm still kind of wrestling with that one. Um, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, nice. Well, I hope that ends well. My best friend just did hers and um, it was, yeah, it was a trip watching her do do that just as a bystander. Um, She's taken off to the UK now for eight months just to like go do nothing, um, which is great. Yeah, I'm like, oh, that's fair enough. But anyway, all right. Well, thank you for answering those questions. Um, But we're now going to get down to the nitty gritty stuff. So obviously, as I mentioned, we're here today to talk about boundary management and how it's connected to our personal resilience, which is the overarching theme of this show. But for our listeners, Ben, how would you define personal resilience? Um, for personal resilience, this um, really comes down to to adaptation, like being able to adapt to change. Yep. So, um, I mean, that's um, it's something that never stops, of course, because everything is always changing, even mm. when it's not. <laughs> That's a great you, um, insight. <laughs> even when it's not, you know, you can, the thing that can change is it, you can become yeah. bored or things can become repetitive. So, yeah, um, you can change. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, it's kind of impossible to, um, to do without that. Exactly. Yeah. No, 100%. And I think resilience, I've heard lots of different definitions, you know, over doing this every week for a very long time um and yeah i hear a lot of different definitions but it is about being sort of um multifaceted and bendable and you know bouncing back is the name of the show which is the whole point yeah you can sort of look at um like structures in nature as well there's a there's a different strategies about how to withstand force and some of them are about being very rigid and others are about sort of being able to absorb things and flex, and um, if your strategy is the f- the first one to um, to stay rigid, <laughs> then I mean you have to stay very rigid because um, yeah, we wish you the best luck. <laughs> well, exactly, and I guess we'll talk about that a little bit later on. You know, so exactly. We'll... Yeah, we're gonna delve into that a little bit more. Um, but a lot of people think that resilience means being immune to stresses and adversity, <laughs> and sort of being. Yeah, just kind of invincible and maybe a bit numb. What do you think about this? Why do you think people have this misconception? Uh, I mean, some of these models are old. 
you know, about mm. um, old models about stoicism and what it means to be strong. Yeah. It would have us um, associate strength with, with not showing any emotion or distress about things. Um, you know, behind the scenes, it's a lot more complicated than that, of yeah. course. Yeah. Yeah, of course. So, um, yeah. Yeah, all... definitely. It is, yeah, there. Are, I think there are a lot of misconceptions that, like you said, are based off that, those old school sort of thought processes and all that kind of stuff in terms of, you know, being strong and being stoic and, and being numb is a, is a desirable trait because it sort of makes you invincible. And I think obviously, you know, that comes from years of things that, you know, our generation has never been through in terms of, you know, world wars and all that kind of stuff. And they can become, you know, unhealthy coping mechanisms, but that is not what resilience is at the end of the day. It is not about being numb. It's not about being immune. It is about, in fact, being flexible and being able to bounce back. So let's go into boundary management. Now I heard this word and like you've hear a lot about boundaries and sort of being able to say no and you know it's it's a word that gets thrown around a lot but in your personal sort of professional experience how yeah. would you define boundary management um that i mean that's a term that we is kind of used in a lot of different contexts from um you know workplaces to intimate relationships mm. and and all sorts of things but um, really, it's about um, having a, a limit or an edge to you, and um, yeah, and how that interacts with with somebody else. So, I mean, we, we can yeah. think about that as being like a Venn diagram that sort of intersects, and that that boundary is something that that might not be um, completely rigid. It's um, yeah, it's more of like a double fence that you know you and your neighbour sort of both maintain and. Um, Mm. Um, if you make sure yours is maintained and that, um, you know, your cows don't go over onto your neighbor's yard and vice versa. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But one of the things around, um, around boundary management, because I think a lot of the, the material that we encounter in, in this subject area is about how to protect yourself from others in terms of maintaining boundaries. But mm. um, boundary management is something that sort of works in both directions. Um, we manage our yeah, own right. boundaries okay. for our relationships that we're in um, yeah. as well. So, Okay, like we're... managing our internal boundaries? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it kind of, you can, you can look at that through from a variety of different angles in the sense that um, if we don't necessarily have great boundaries within ourselves, we sort of are then by default um, reliant on, other, on the other person's boundaries. You know, yeah. Because, okay. Um, yeah. Which is, you know, that the risks associated with that sort of configuration are less if you sort of the people in your life or the person in your life has um is very empathetic and is you know, concerned yep. for you and and those sorts of things. But as we know, like that's not always the case with everyone we encounter. So, um. Yeah. Yeah, but on the other side, it's um we um. Being able to acknowledge sort of what's your stuff, what are your emotions, and um, how they what's impact others. Yep. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? And, and and having insight into like our role in different sort of patterns in relationships. That's boundary mm. management as well. Yeah, great. 
So how does boundary management and all that stuff that you just mentioned, how does this affect our personal resilience? How does that tie in? Boundary management and resilience. Uh, There are, um, in terms of what we might say, uh, like problems associated with having poor boundaries can... but she's sort of a, a gross term, you know, having poor boundaries or whatever that means. Yeah. But um, if we think about um, what that means for for the person, that can be quite stressful um, mm. to be sort of stuck in that space. I mean, um, worrying about um, what others might think of us in terms of being able to express what we need or saying no, for example, that can yeah. take up a lot of um a lot of energy to worry about the consequences on on the relationships. We might develop other um, strategies that um, can actually um, lead lead us to avoiding other people or keeping other people at arm's length as well. So, yeah, um, long term that can mean that we have sort of less support around us as well. Um, those yeah, things that we might draw from, you know, when we meet meet a challenge in life, um, yeah. sort of social support. Um, but also there's yep. um, um to to have good boundaries is easier when you have a fairly strong sense of who you are and um sense of self. So it goes the other way in the sense that sense of self is also a core component in, in resilience. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's a really core component. And I think I've spoken about this on yeah, a lot of different episodes in terms of being able to understand yourself. And that really is at the core of like a lot of these concepts is being able to have like a strong sense of self yeah. and understanding who you are and sort of where your boundaries are and where your morals lie and your values and all that kind of stuff. And that is okay. something that is difficult to develop no, no matter how crucial it is to our lives. It's something that you know, tends to only come when you're older and you've experienced things. Um, but you mentioned before sort of like different types of boundaries. Can you expand on this a little bit in terms of what are the various personal boundaries and, and what well, does that mean? Sure. I mean, um, boundaries relates to the, um, like our personal space, like around us and yeah, how um, we interact with others in that, in that sense. Um, how much time we give to other people and mm. how much time we sort of, um, they give to us. Um, how much, um, how much we allow others to influence us, our behaviours and ideas about ourselves and the world. Um, in intimate relationships, boundaries play a really important role, of course, like yeah. knowing what, what feels right for us and being able to communicate that. Um, how much to expect others to accommodate of us and how much yeah. we're prepared to accommodate of, of other people and terms of um you know strain on on relationships or how much we give and for how long those sorts of things so yeah. it's um it can be complicated to really define what those things are in in a real yeah. life kind of way yeah um, definitely yeah yeah so would you say there's sort of we kind of have like those oh, three or four sort of key boundaries in terms of boundaries with like our workplace, our family, and like our intimate relationships. Yeah, like a yeah. lot of domains, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. can put it through yeah. that lens, yeah. Okay, interesting. So, what, like, let's talk about 
learning to say no and what these boundaries are um, because we hear most of the time about sort of learning to say no is like that biggest boundary in terms of, you know, people-pleasing personalities and all that kind of thing. How important is it (laughs) to learn to say no and how should we know when to say yes instead? Yeah, okay. Um, It's a good question, I guess, because like, learning how to say yes sort of I guess that is in response to maybe maybe an idea that we would um it's hard to negotiate or to find out when to say yes and no to different things but yeah um, exactly in um you know we in every close relationship it in, it involves it requires we're required to say no to things you know whether it's about what we feel like doing you know, if we're too tired to do something or if someone asks us to see a band we don't really like, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, these things, they're sort of embedded in the relationship, being able to express um, what we want to do and what we don't want to do. Um, and um, it, I think it's really difficult to get to know somebody if they never really said no because it's kind of that's how we can, it ha- that process helps us to define um, who the person is and what they what they yeah. like. So it's a process of um, you know yeses and noes in a, in a broad sense. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, <laughs> definitely. When you said sort of like it's important to learn what someone else says no to because when they're just always a yes person, you're just like, well, where are your lines? <laughs> like, exactly. what, what is it mm. that you do and, and don't like? And I have had this problem before in just terms of being like, <laughs> I've never seen you get angry or anything about anything. Like, it's just very frustrating because I'm like, well, where, where are your lines and where are your boundaries? So it is difficult for some people to say no, With like we sort of said, you know, when people don't say no, it is very difficult. Um, obviously for that person and difficult for the people around them to kind of learn about them on a different kind of level. Does that mean that that person is a people pleaser or do they just have a pleasing personality? And is there a difference between the two? Yeah, I think those things can be roughly differentiated. Um, A lot of people really like being able to make other people happy, you know, and they they find a lot of joy in, in doing that, being there for others. Um, having a pleasing personality um, as opposed to, I guess, at the extremes, what you might call a difficult personality or someone says no to everything or, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? I mean, these things are, yeah. they're polarized in this type of, um, through this sort of paradigm, but um, wanting to um, to please others and, um that might be on, on one side, but a uh, uh, people pleaser in the, the sense we're sort of looking at can come from a um, a, a range of different, uh, can have a range of different underpinnings for being sort of anxious about what might happen if um, there's disruption in, in the relationship or if we say no. Yeah. Um, maybe fear of conflict, which can come from things um, in the past or, or, or yeah. generally. Yeah. Um, it can be that um, we might not really know who we are if we're not trying to please others. Like that idea in itself could feel really confusing if that's the, the part of us that we've come to associate with being who we are or our kind of true self. Yeah. It can be 
you know, it's going to be hard to know any other type of way. Yeah. I think as well it's um, um, the people pleaser. It can be that, um, you know, we might know that um, in, a, in a more ideal situation we would say no or put some sort of boundary in place, but there's a sense like a feeling yeah. of like a compulsion, like it's, I feel pulled to do it and that can create, like there can be this observation of a conflict inside where part yeah. of me feels like I need to do it, but another part of me maybe feels frustrated, exhausted, maybe um, angry at the other part that keeps saying yes to things, um, mm. resentful, like those sorts of feelings can all be in, in the mix. So I think that's kind of, that's more that second category. Yeah, okay, interesting. So is being like, if you are a people pleaser, is this like a permanent thing, like a, like a constant everyday thing or is it, can it be situational or does that make it sort of just like, you know, having like a little bit of a pleasing personality? Um, I mean, it depends what sort of environments we would encounter, right? If it's hard to say um, no or, or, I mean, there's one thing, I guess, is when, if it's hard to say no, but the other thing is to um, constantly volunteer oneself to help others, you know, that, that mm. type of pattern. So those sort of patterns are going to be activated in different situations and environments, right? Like, so okay. there might be yeah. um, a period in 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 a person's life where those those things don't seem to be creating as much um, of a problem because they kind of there yeah. isn't you know the they are resourced enough to so that that's sort of obscured or they're with people who don't let them give too much, you know? Yeah, it's like the manager that says no. It's like 7.30 and you're still in the office, like go home and take an extra day off. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. that kind of is yeah. protecting that person from um, from that becoming something that becomes like a, an exhaustion or burnout sort of factor. Mm. Yeah, interesting. So you mentioned before in terms of it can be something that develops because of experiences. Are there yeah. any specific experiences or events in a person's life that might contribute to the development of people-pleasing tendencies? Definitely. Um, we could sort of look at an example from um, like early development and development within a family system, for example. So um, yep. if we have, um, if we picture a child in that sort of um, environment where um, certain behaviors are um, are affirmed and encouraged, and others are sort of either um, not acknowledged or or criticized, or there might be shame attached to them. Yeah. Um, so in families, um, families being the first kind of um, orbit, and then there are others outside of that, like um, to do with society and culture, of course. But um, we can be. The people pleasing behaviors, you know, they can be seen as um, really positive traits about people. You know, you're always really helpful, always really caring, always giving to others, you know, being a selfless person who doesn't think yeah. about themselves. You know, these sorts of things, um, they have positive associations attached to them. But in families, it can be that um, we learn that to um, to be loved requires us to be certain way and um as children we we can lean into that type of um way of functioning without even realizing that so 
energy invested into that. And in that sense, we can move away from um, from a true version of, of ourselves. It can feel harder to access in adulthood because yeah. there's been a lot of time spent in that other in that other mode. Yeah. Um, so that's one yeah. in terms of family, right? And um, that can be a big one that we work on, you know, with people in in therapy as well, looking at where those sorts of that sort of conditioning comes from. And the other side of that is, of course, when um, when people are learning to to put different boundaries in and express what they need, how anxious they can feel, and you know, the shame mm. they experience about doing that. Yeah. Definitely. In terms of, um, you know, the common challenges that people face, what would you say are like the biggest sort of um, difficulties that people with a pleasing personality sort of have to confront when it comes to boundary management? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question and there's a, there's a really big range here because, um, you know, if we... Um, if we can't protect ourselves in that way, then, you know, we can be really vulnerable to all sorts of um, experiences, exploitation and abuse in, in relationships, for example, being being some of those. Um, though that sort of area is um, is kind of on on one one end. Yeah. Um, it can be that um, it can be that we, we will burn out because being being there for others all the time um, and not factoring in, in one's own needs, it's, um, there's an, it can be an exhaustion factor that can then kind of shift our ideas about how, what it feels like to be in close relationships, what friendship feels yeah. like. So that sort of narrative part around like um, and belief part about ourselves in relationships can shift. Relationships yep. can feel just too exhausting for me. I, I don't want to, you know, it changes the orientation to them in that sense. Mm. Um, also, there's another aspect of it that, that involves sort of adaptation to the parts of us that always want to to give. So I'll, I'll give you an example about what I mean with this one because it's, um, we sort of talked before about like that there can be sort of conflict internally, like recognizing that there's a part that always wants to be there for somebody yeah. else or others. Yeah. And it, it's um there can be other parts of us as well that maybe don't agree with that, maybe feel resentful, um, maybe feel really um um yeah, confused and frustrated about those other parts. And so we can develop other um other adaptations on top of that to actually help us to to um get the boundary in place. And some of those things are um they can involve, they can require us to get quite angry, you know, to, to put the boundary in. That's mm. a way of counteracting the other part in a sense. So yeah, um, some, of the, some of the adaptations um, to like the people-pleasing part can avoid things, uh, can, can include things like avoiding close relationships, maybe um, lashing out because, um, you know, however heavy this part of this is, the other part yeah. has to be as strong to kind of, um, counteracted in, in those sorts of moments. So we can develop more like global sort of views about relationships and ourselves that can then start to change our orientation to ourselves and other people. I mean that yeah, there might wow. be more ruptures in close relationships because we're not able to express what we need unless we um, do it in a certain way or, or feel angry enough. 
Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> this is all like hitting a certain button in my head going, oh, this you makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I am, mm-hmm. I am like, I, w- I don't know if I would be called. No, I definitely, I think I would be a people pleaser. I think, yeah, it's a big, big part of me, which is very annoying. And I don't enjoy it and I get very angry. So that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> well, you know, it's um, those parts of us, you know, under. Mm. You know, under normal conditions, you know, in in the most yeah. part of our lives, that they might be they might be parts of us that we really love as well, like being mm. being very empathetic, being genuinely yeah. sort of interested in others' lives. Those parts of us, um, we don't want to pathologize those parts or say that that is a problem. Um, wanting yeah. to please others because we care about them, we care about people, and we 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 can really feel how they might feel or imagine that. Those things are really yeah. beautiful traits about people. Yeah. No, definitely. But I want to go back to something that you mentioned before because you spoke about sort of like the positivity of having some of these traits and, and there they can be, um, yeah, like, like a good side in terms of having a healthy sort of, you know, yeah. pleasing personality and being nice. But you mentioned the like the term selfless and being a selfless no, person. Is there a, is there a difference in terms of like what those two terms mean and being having a pleasing personality or being a people pleaser and being a selfless person? Like are they two different things or like way too similar? People pleaser versus selfless. Um, yeah, I think like the probably the, the association between um, which compare those terms like selfless probably has a. Um, positive kind of association with it in terms of we're described as a um as a selfless person so wow that's really beautiful that's great um mm. being described as a people pleaser with that might sit less comfortably with us yeah it doesn't have that positive connotation you know what I mean? um yeah. yeah i think um selfless is probably a term that um we might not use as much anymore because it's kind of clunky yeah. in a way Selfless to not um yeah definitely to not factor in your own needs if or to to not think about oneself like when you're giving to others that sounds like a bit of a recipe mm. for burnout <laughs> yeah I feel like we hear more about the term being selfish now and uh, some sometimes you've just got to be a bit selfish I feel like we hear that definitely more. Than, than being selfless. <laughs> well, that's a great point to you because like on one side we might have selfless and then um, we might say, I'm being selfish here because I'm going to take some time out for myself, um, which in a way, mm. like, yeah, it might feel selfish to the people please up, but in another way that's really about um, what resilience is because it's registering that we need yeah. a break. Do you know what I mean? So it's not so much being selfish as being yeah, um, no, definitely. Resourceful and recognizing your own needs. Yeah. What kind of advice do you have for people who struggle with that, though? Because, yeah, look, I have a very pleasing personality and I will do things that I do not enjoy just to, like, you know, please another person. Um, right. But then anytime, like, you know, I try to put in a boundary or I say no, no, I get like this guilt where I'm just like, oh, you know, like you should have done that. Like, you know, maybe 
you know, you'd want someone to do that for you or like, or maybe they were really can't like, maybe you're the only person who can do this and, and you didn't do it. And now that person is just really upset because you were the, you were like the last straw. <laughs> what kind of advice do you have yeah. for, for someone like me who is like, you like you get that wave of guilt. Like I get like that, you know, like that mum guilt in terms of just being like, oh, like, saying no or p- putting in a boundary where you know i have to take time for myself to avoid burnout but i feel but i feel bad about it like how do you how do you work your way out of that um i mean a couple of different factors here probably to consider and one is like um certain roles within relationships which um for example um if we are, um, if we're in like a counselor or psychologist role in a friendship, and it yeah. seems that most of the friendship seems to have sort of coalesced around this role where one person is that for the other person, we might say, okay, well, yeah. this song, the relationship has kind of either started that way or it's kind of shifted into this space where that doesn't necessarily feel like a friendship anymore that's not the sort of the model of friendship that i want in in my life yeah it can be that um you know you mentioned that it's it it may be that i'm the one person who can do this for for that other person yeah um and it may feel that way right but um but is it really true i mean what sort of things are in that category yeah yeah fair enough okay interesting but onto the guilt thing, I mean, should we talk about that? Yeah, yeah. Like, and yeah, I guess that's sort of, it got, like, it goes into my next question. Like, how can people, like, how can you, like, how can you shed the guilt? Like, obviously, you need to be able to have an understanding of, like, you know, when people really do and, and like, need your support and you're, like, you have to sort of, you know, you have to help people and be there for people and sometimes you have to do things for the benefit of others and that's good. Like, that is, it's a good healthy trait being able to, you know, have um, healthy boundaries and being able to say yeah. yes and, and compromise and all that kind of stuff. You know, we hear about compromising and communication yeah. and all those kinds of things. And there are those, those yeah. It, yeah, it's a good, it's a good thing. Um, and that comes from, you know, cultural and societal norms in terms of what, um, is healthy and what is not, but like, how do you shed the, like for the, the guilt thing, it's just yeah. really annoying. <laughs> like, yeah, how do you, yeah. like, how do you work? through that is there is there a point where like someone like you can feel less guilty and just sort of been like oh you know like no i like i would have loved to have said yes but i i couldn't so i and no like problem. that's okay yeah you know okay so um i mean we can sort of have a look at what what guilt is for in terms of yeah not that emotions have a purpose because they sort of evolved you know that they have a function in in terms of how we interact with groups and um, mm. emotions like guilt and resentment are, are their social emotions. They involve um, interactions with other people, and um, you might look at there's probably like a lane keeping aid in terms of um, our interactions with others and relationships. Where on one side we have um, guilt, and on the other side we have resentment. 
And okay. we might think about those things as being like lanes on a on a road. And yeah. um, you know, if you're driving along and if you have one of those cars that sort of it it might steer you back in. If you go over the line or or some of them might beep, you know, if you start crossing the line on one side and yeah. then on the other side. And um we might um you're working within those parameters. For example, if mm. you if we if we're continually giving in a friendship, for example, a relationship, what can happen over time is that um, we'll start to resent the other person and mm. change how we feel about the relationship. It's like this relationship yeah. feels like a lot of work, especially if you're kind of not used to asking for help yourself. So, you know, if you're a fairly empathetic person, you can um, empathize with the other person in their situation and, you know, that part of you wants to help them because you're like, I, I would love for someone like me to help me in that situation. Um, but <laughs> yeah. it could be that, that that's not so much of a two-way street. If it is and you're comfortable doing that, then that, that might be a different experience. But yeah. back to the guilt and resentment thing is that um, we sort of, we can use that as a guide in terms of how we're going to be in the relationship with with boundaries, how to... Um, you know, you might imagine saying, like, a friend might ask you to do something. Say a friend asks you to help move. Can you help me move on the weekend? <laughs> and yeah. you might think, I have moved so many times in my life. Like, I'm never got, I, I, I never want to move again. <laughs> and I know if I yeah. do that, if I do that, I'm really going to, I'm going to feel really resentful about it. Yeah. Um, and even saying that, I've had those parts too. And I'm thinking, there's conflict there because I kind of want to help, but I know that if I do that, um, I'm not going to feel great about it. The, yeah. the, the vibe's going to change. So we might say um, no in that case. We might say, literally, I've moved so many times, I, I'm not, I, I don't want to do it again. Um, I'm happy to help with some other things um, yeah. because there's a dilemma. If you do it, you might feel resentful and it might change how you feel about the relationship over time. Yeah. So you kind of get to choose from a terrible menu, which is on one side like out of guilt <laughs> or resentment. So running off that in terms of, you know, having that guilt and then building that resentment for that person, how can someone with a people-pleasing personality learn to be more assertive without sort of sacrificing that positive trait? Because we've spoken about how there can be that selfless side that, you know, is is great and being able to have that empathy and being there for people. Well, that's a wonderful thing and we, and we love that. But how can someone sort of learn to put in those boundaries to help themselves so that they don't get to that point where they've got that insane buildup of guilt that leads to resentment. Yeah, well, I guess, um, I mean, the, someone with that people-pleasing personality, um, we're saying they, they, they may associate those traits with, um, with being their most positive traits, you know, as part of that process of, um, of, of learning. Um, that we might say um, their most positive traits are probably associated with um, with them being a, a true version of themselves, which is kind of a different way to look at that. Mm. Um, being able to to communicate boundaries in a way that 
doesn't necessarily call for um, compensatory parts to kind of get involved as much. Okay, what does us. that mean? Okay, so um, um, well, resentment is one. You know, it's because okay. we've right. developed one oh, okay. yeah. part that counteracts another part that's um, experiencing a lot of guilt. Um, yeah. That's not true of everyone, of course, because some people that mechanism might not kick in like that. They may, they may go to more of a, a burnout space and and feel um, self like there might be a self-critical kind of aspect to that. Why can't I, you know, why can't I do that? And beating themselves up, for example, and sometimes that activates a pattern that that was already there. But um, those compensatory parts can include, um, yeah, withdrawing. Maybe keeping other people at a at a distance. It yeah. can be um, having to to um, generate a bit of anger to sort of help counteract the part that always wants to be there for others. Those sorts of um, parts. So um, if we become sort of aware of those different parts of us and how they're working internally, um, I guess the goal is that we are able to communicate how we feel and what we need um, whilst staying kind of closer to the true version of ourselves. It's being able to to um, express what we need and to say no without having to feel really angry or ashamed. Yeah. Um, yeah, of course. the ultimate goal. Hmm. What would you say should be sort of like the first step for someone who wants to do this but is struggling to kind of do it in a, in a healthy way that works for them, what would you recommend sort of just be their, their first little step in trying to achieve this? Yeah, I mean, every, everybody's sort of trajectory is different and their contexts are different and relationships are different. It can be, mm. um, for that reason, it can be good to talk to somebody about that like a therapist who's able to help organize that and maybe explore it um because um like a broad brush approach to this type of area could be problematic you know could have us right okay becoming um more defensive or closing people out or over generalizing for example and there are some circumstances that people might be in where um um, putting in better boundaries for themselves and saying no, that the relationships around them, they might not withstand that. Yeah. There might be sort of consequences in the relationship that um, that they they may experience. So it can be that we can't assume that the, the people around or the person around that person we're, we're dealing with, working with, they, they might not have empathy for them in a true sense. An example, like yeah. if we're talking to a, um, if we have a manager at work, for example, keeps loading on work and changing our role and um, to be able to express how we feel because of that and um, being reliant on that person to empathize, um, that might not always be available. So, um, yeah. do you know what I'm saying? So it's complicated and it's yeah. the first thing can be to, to kind of look at it with somebody else. I would say, and so, yeah, is is one thing to yeah, to maybe definitely. avoid the um, avoid a, ver- a very broad or general approach, and to look at your own 
development yeah. and where those things come from and, and how they might play out in, in your life. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you for answering those questions. We really appreciate it. Um, so we're going to go into the practice habit experiment debrief section of the show now. So this is where we ask the experts what they do, um, what is their personal practice when it comes to the topic. So Ben, what is a practice that you do to um, build your boundary management skills? Um one of those, I guess it's a, like an approach to the sort of area internally. So um, one of those things is the first the first part really is to be able to detect that something um, that something is doesn't quite feel right or that there's something that feels yeah. like a bit of a strain or um, so that requires sort of a, a certain attunement to to yourself emotionally, I guess. Um, Initially, I guess it's like a um, a broad look. Sometimes, you know, um, sometimes someone might um, ask us for some time or they want to talk about something that's going on for them, um, and we might say, "I don't, I don't, I don't feel like doing this." Um, and there might be part of us that really wants to sort of push them away, feels critical about the person, so. Um, that's one example of like taking a, a step back about what's been activated because we might discover yep. that actually um, like last week that might not have felt the same, but this week because I'm so busy and stressed out, um, that's a factor here that's getting involved. So I'm going to look at like the outside factors that might be contributing to how we oh, respond. Okay. Do you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. No, I get what yeah. you're saying. Another part okay, is looking at what stories might be activated in it. Like there might be certain generalizations or narratives about people or ourselves that are being activated in that. Um, you know, nobody's there for me or this person, you know, whatever those sorts of stories are, to be able to detect that as well and to check mm. um, is this actually what's going on here um, or yeah. could it be something else? Yeah. Well, that requires you to know yourself quite well. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, that works. all things yeah. are working progress, right? For, for all exactly, of us. exactly. Mm. Yeah. So, what would you say are some challenges that you face when sort of being able to recognize those different facets of your feelings and, and where they're coming from? What would you say are some challenges that you face when sort of trying to understand your feelings in relation to boundaries? Mm -hmm. um, well, the challenges can be for our empathetic parts, right? Like as we touched on before, um, yeah. being able to, um, I mean, I had a plumber over a couple of weeks ago to install a new fridge and, um, and he needed a different part that he didn't have, like to connect the, um, the, the plumbing to the wall. And mm. he said, um, you know, and he was someone, you know, uh, we were paying to come in to do, to, to install a fridge, of course. And, um, and he yeah. said, oh, can you go to the hardware store and pick up that piece for me? And so like in very, very quickly, <laughs> what can happen is, you know, um, well, yeah. I detecting like, you know, an empathetic part is, yeah, I feel for him cause he probably has to drive around all day, you know, and I don't have to do that. So part of me is like, yeah, yeah I could do that because, you know, I kind of feel for him if he doesn't want to do that another part of me might it might be the sort of a thread that might lead to something 
that's more about um, anger, do you know, like mm. I'm paying you to do this, blah, 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 why, you know, this is your job to do that. Um, so to, t- to detect those different parts that are getting involved in the process, um, knowing sort of how they're working internally and yeah. being able to sort of stay within the self and say, um, you know, that's, um, that's part of your job, so you're going to have to do that. And even sort of smiling is, is that's happen, <laughs> happening. Yeah, yeah. That there are risks about it because you don't really know how the other person is going to respond. But in that process is also to recognize that it's not my job to always manage the other person's feelings about what's happening. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Interesting. Oh, it's so hard when I think about that. I'm like, oh, <laughs> like, that just like that in itself just made me go like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what I do. Um, but yeah, yeah, okay. So how how often do you find yourself having to do that? I mean, I don't want to give the impression that I am perfect at this type of thing either, which is a problem. <laughs> you know, like these things yeah. are always something that's a negotiation and exploration in us, all of us. Yeah. Um, it's something I think to be able to, to stay in yourself and, and, and express what you need and to be able to say no, um, that's, um, that's something I guess I try to do, but it doesn't mean it's always perfect. Sometimes you, you might catch yourself feeling a certain way about someone or a situation and that cracks out and that's how you find out that that process has been running in the background do you know what i mean or mm. a certain feeling yeah, about the situation but you know yeah. like even when you think about those situations here you know you can detect probably different parts that might be activated by that scenario yeah yeah of course and i, I guess yeah, that's definitely. the whole process is really about being able to to identify those things mm. Yeah, interesting. So how do you think this practice impacts your personal resilience? Personal resilience, um, I guess it can mean on, in some level that, that the relationships around us can can feel fairly um, um, genuine. Yeah. You know, so that in itself is um, to have relationships that feel that way um, it, that, they're incredibly important in terms of resilience. Like it's a support network that's not always family. Like a lot of people, they don't have that in their family system and they have that outside of the family system, but those reflections back um, can inform a sense of self that's really um, quite positive and, and rational and, and that, it, that forms the basis of resilience too. So um, if we um, yeah, if we don't have good boundaries, we spend a lot of time wondering about how we might cope, how we're going to engage in this interaction, thinking about interactions in the past or that sort of content area from the past. Um, yeah, definitely. Which can be very, very stressful. And that mm. affects our resilience because yeah. it takes up a lot of time, yeah. a lot of time and energy. Exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. So would you recommend sort of this practice, you know, that, that thought process, would you recommend this to everyone? I think in the area of boundaries and resilience and in many other domains, it's, it's 
a really important kind of it's an important tool to be able to um understand the different parts of us and where they come from and um yeah there are like therapeutic approaches that really focus on that like internal family systems therapy is one of those Mm. looking at different parts of us and how they kind of interact and where they came from, their role, their function. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's one of the most respectful kind of approaches in that sense that I've ever encountered, looking at yeah. the function of those um, of those parts of us in earlier stages in now. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Oh, great. Well, thank you for answering all those questions. So we're in the last part of the show now. So this is the open mic section uh, where the guest has a chance to talk about anything that they are passionate about. It doesn't have to be related to the topic, but it can be. Um, so I'm going to hand it over to Ben. Ben, what, what, what do you want to talk about? Um, I guess like there's a related area, which is really about how um, our experiences early on sort of shape how we see ourselves and um, mm. you know, our models of ourselves and relationships and, and the world generally. Yeah. So, um, Definitely. that area is sort of in the, it's often, um, in the frame of sort of trauma research. Um, but the mechanisms and the, um, the, the parts of the brain and, and those networks, um, that are studied in the area of trauma they are the same for all of us in terms of early experiences um, shaping how we see ourselves in terms of um, our capacity, different emotions that, that get attached to um, to ideas about the self, um, yeah. whether the environments that we grew up in really provided for us to develop a sense of self-independent of other people. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I'm interested to know your thoughts in terms of like, you know, you hear a lot about obviously how those experiences shape you and, you know, those experiences when you're a child and how they have a very big impact on how you grow up and all that kind of stuff and mm -hmm. you sort of have to and you can deal with them as you get older. Mm -hmm. What would you say is like, like is there, I don't know, is there a point where a person kind of gets to, I wouldn't say a certain age, but a certain stage of their life where I don't want to say it's too late, but it's just like, it's such an ingrained part of you that it's like, how would you ever kind of reverse that kind of, you know, that mindset or that system that's been put in place that has never been, you know, like picked out by a therapist. Is there yeah. ever a sort of like, is there ever a point where you're like, okay, well, this is something that we're just going to have to manage instead of, yeah, work yeah. around instead of sort of try and remove. Can you give me sort of an example of the type of um, oh. aspect of the person? <laughs> I mean, I can think of some, but maybe you tell me what you're um, thinking. I guess just like, um, I don't know, maybe just like, I guess, for example, like social anxiety or something well, like that. Like uh -huh. is that, like if that's something that sort of like, you know, you can you can draw it back to a certain like family situation. Yeah. Like is there is there something, is there like 
Does is it, it sort of become embedded like or concreted in sort of thing? Yeah, like it's something yep. that's become like concreted in and you're just like, could that ever like realistically change for that person? Um, well, yeah, the answer is yes, but there's a little asterisk okay. on that and it's really about right. sort of <laughs> willingness or the likelihood that that person is going to be in the environment that might um, disrupt the pattern. So. The asterisk yeah. is the other issue, you know, like um, when, how would that happen? But um, yeah. we do know that there are, and on the more extreme ends, for example, um, uh, like people with chronic post-traumatic stress disorder, like people who are in their, like Vietnam veterans, for example, like now in their 70s, mm. like um, we have research to show that um, people who have been living with that condition for all yeah. of that time can still benefit from um, from treatment and actually kind of heal and find different ways of being um, through right. the treatment. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Social anxiety is really about, um, it, it's kind of, it, it, it has a big component. It's about sort of fear conditioning. So, um, mm. and um, safety behaviors around that sort of, the, the fear. In, yeah. Um, how that kind of works is, you know, if we were, if you can imagine like, you know, you might be like a young child and, and you're bitten by a neighborhood dog and it was really scary and awful yeah. and you'd, um, you'd never, um, you've been scared of dogs ever since and, um, yeah. um, never been anywhere near a dog. Um, so what we might say is that, um, that conditioning sort of stays intact until, um, until it's been, until a person's been able to have some level of exposure, exposure and habituation to to that. So we might say, well, you know, it might be twenty years later, um, in the right sort of conditions, that that yeah. habituation can can happen. And it's the same with social anxiety because the core part is yeah. um, core part is about um, negative impressions of others, and some of that's informed through early experiences and core beliefs about the self. And, you know, there's a number of them. The, the 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 usual suspects are things like, you know, I'm too boring, I'm too much, or people are going to see yeah. me as toxic or or crazy or um yeah. What's all done is another big one. The classics. Mm. Um, and then we help okay. a range of behaviours around that. But if people yeah. um are going to work on that, they can they can change that. For example. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. So you mentioned before sort of like, you know, if you're in the environment for it, sure. for that, and like I don't don't want to go you know, back to boundary management, but in terms of That's okay. how much like when it comes to sort of, you know, creating boundaries and if you're trying to like build in an environment where your boundaries are constantly being, you know, compromise where you're constantly being pushed like how much can a person sort of grow in an environment like that before like it's too much and they do have to sort of you know move on to be able to continue to grow like how much can you um, sort of like how much can you work on yourself in a in a toxic space before the space really has to has to be departed yeah yeah i got you so um 
I mean, on one end. And I feel like this ties back into the family thing, you know, like if you've got like well, some, yeah. you know, like, a, you know, your family is your family. They're related to you for the reason that they are. And, you know, like for some people, that's that's your whole life for the rest of your life. They, they are your family. And how do you kind of like grow in an environment where, you know, those people are your family or, you know, going back to the boundary management thing where your boundaries are constantly being pushed and compromised. How can you sort of be more assertive or, or grow in those kinds of environments and how, how far can that really go? Yeah. I mean, it's a good question because, um, like in some environments, if the environment is, um, like is abusive, then, um, like there's a spectrum here in that sense. If a yeah. relationship in the context around the person is abusive, um, like it's it it's the the relationship itself isn't necessarily gonna um, something will will change. You know, being able to put boundaries in in some environments means that a relationship will stop or drastically change. Yeah. Um, so the other part you referred to, you know, like. Um, the, the idea about being in that and being sort of constantly subject to, um, you know, the, the, those sort of boundary breaches. And in, in a family situations like children, they, um, they can't really escape all this, the conceptualization of escaping and not being there. Um, it's really, it's really alien, especially if, you know, those environments are what's kind of normal, like for, for children, yeah. um, often all this confusion around what's sort of normal in that sense. So, if we've come from that type of environment, it's um, like the idea about what we we will tolerate, and the idea that that I'm actually able to affect change in my life. That's um, that's something really new and challenging to kind of get get one's head around, and it can require um, support to do that. It's so yeah. really new. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Interesting. Well, that brings us to the end of open mic, but is there anything that you would like to add to your open mic session before we before we close? No, I think we've um we've covered sort of um we've covered quite a bit in, in <laughs> covered quite a fair amount of ground, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, great. Well, thank you so much, Benjamin, for being here. It's been such a pleasure. Um, we've learned so much, which has been wonderful. For those who want to find out more about you and what you do, uh, where can they go? They can have a look at um, our practice website, which is um, spencerstreetpsychology.com.au. Um, that's our practice website. There's some um, information about me and and now my my workmates at the practice there. Great, <laughs> awesome. Well, we'll leave the links um to all of that stuff for Ben in the description below. Um, but thank you so much, Ben, for being here. It's been really wonderful. And been um, yeah, to we've meet had a you. great time. Yeah, it's been really wonderful and uh, we've had a great time. And to the listeners, um, thank you so much for listening. Once again, don't forget to like and subscribe on whatever platform you're on and we'll see you guys next week. Thanks again.
You have been listening to Bouncing Back, the personal resilience science insights podcast produced by the Life Management Science Labs. Listen to episodes from LMSL's 10 Life Management Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or other podcasting apps on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps others find us and us grow to bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at pr.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Tia Hama. Thanks for tuning in.